Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellen podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. Okay, my name is Marcel, and thank you. I feel, feel heard. I feel so, so um, I'm a pastor's kid. Apparently, y'all are more excited about that than me. But um, you know, there are, there, are, there are responsibilities that come with that with that very important role, uh, including running around the pews, um, eating communion bread after the service is done. And um, I grew up with like talk of ministry all the time at our house. That like, first of all, there were always people there, and they were always talking about church. There was always talk about Bible, mission work, social justice, worship, and um, I grew up with trivia about Bible stories. My mom would, would stop me in the hallway and ask me, was the genealogy of Abraham? I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, but one of the topics that would come around kind of time and again was, uh, did fascinate me, not like the genealogy of Abraham, which I did not care about. Uh, it was this idea that God somehow calls us somehow uh, calls us to be or do in a certain way. And I was drawn to that idea. I remember during my college years, for example, um, you know, I, I decided that I was uh, going to ruin my financial prospects and become a musician. And yeah. amen to that. I would still do the same thing again. Um, and I had all these questions about, you know, am I doing the right thing? Did I make the right decision? Is this what God has in store for me. You've probably heard that language if you grew up in church. Um, so this idea that somehow there was a call and um, that involves certain decisions going down certain paths and avoiding others. So uh, that notion fell apart as I grew older. That is my testimony. Good day to you. Um, no, really. Uh, there, no. There, was a, there came a point when um, the way I thought about vocation and calling vocation, uh, God's, or even God's will, it, it, it really began to change, right? So when I was young, I tended to think of vocation as a line, like a, a storyline. So, you know, what is the right career path? Who is the right person to spend the rest of my life with? Uh, and I always said... I would never marry a blonde woman. I would never marry a, an attorney. And I would never marry someone from a German family. So there's that. There's a, a Brazilian theologian, Ricardo Gondim, uh, an Assemblies of God pastor, who uh, ruined this whole notion for me. I, we were in, a, we were in a, a thing, and he was speaking about calling. And he, he said, okay, here's the problem. As a pastor... Someone comes up to me, and they say, you know, Pastor, I did something really stupid. Um, I did something really bad. You can populate your own imagination. As a pastor, I have, I have two alternatives. If I follow the line, then I got to tell this person, I'm sorry, dude. Plan A is ruined. I mean, you'll get plan B, which is kind of a step down. That's the best we can hope for. I'll talk to God. You know, we'll pray for you. We'll try to get you back on track. And if that gets ruined, then it's, it's plan C, D, and so, so on and sp- until you're like Z, 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 X, Y, you know. Or I can abandon this idea 
that there's one line, that there's one plan A, and that that is how God's will works, and that's how calling works. Um, one recent example of why that does not function well is COVID, right? One of the big pickles for theologians during COVID was because we were all screwed, <laughs> right? And it's easy. It's really easy. You look at the Old Testament. It's easy, y'all, because in the Old Testament, if, if you're getting screwed, that's your fault. Right? If you're in exile, you did something stupid. Plan A is down, you know, off the table. I mean, plan C, Babylon, we'll see what we can do with that. Right? But then, so in the world balance of things, someone is, 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 is going down and someone's coming up. Right? So you have this kind of balance. God's favor. But when we're all screwed, what do you do? And theologians had to rework that. And there, a lot of literature came out about you know, There was a book called God and the Pandemic, or Brueggemann's um, Virus as a Summons to Faith, which is a great title to confuse anyone. And anyway, I started to understand that vocation, which comes from a Latin word, vocatio, and vocatio just means to call, to summon, to, you know, it's a bidding, something. It, it, it is a core notion of Christian spirituality in ways that are very different from the ones that I thought about when I was younger. And Today, I think of calling not as, you know, this individual private burn, burden, sorry, you know, something for me, but as a shared communal affair, something that manifests in relationship and something that essentially mirrors the calling of Christ. So as we explore what our future looks like, we have a future. The questions about who we are called to be or what we are called to do, you know, what kind of faith community are we called to be, you know, things like that, the things that the board talks about, naturally arise. And those are essentially questions about our vocation as a community. And within the context of this series, I want to explore this connection between Christ's calling and the calling of those who gather in community around that Christ, which in this case, if you're wondering, is us. So... Towards that end, I want to focus on an image that is very frequent in, in Christian scripture, both in the First and the Second Testaments. Um, and that's the, 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 the image of a shepherd and the sheep, right? And I want to explore that connection by, between calling and scripture in two dimensions. One is scripture with a capital S, right? So how most, you know, churchy, church faced people tend to think about scripture as a body of texts gifted to us by God through the voices and examples of many who have come before us. And a, and a body of texts that, that illuminates several questions about how we are to live. In that sense, Scripture, it, with a capital S, is more than just a collection of stories. It's like a kaleidoscope, right? And you kind of turn it. That's what the lectionary is. The, lection, you know, the order of readings is like a, a, a kaleidoscope that provides glimpses about the relationship between God and God's people. So capital S, illuminates, you got it. Second point is scripture with, with a lowercase s. Uh, not as less than, but as a collection of stories of regular people. It's a crucial notion. 
And as we read these texts, we are remembered that our vocation as followers of the way, as a people, is part of a a larger story, a patchwork quilt. If you remember my, my last sermon from a few weeks ago, it's a quilt woven through history composed of those who, of those who said yes to God's call, to God's invitation into relationship. Abraham, Ruth, Jacob, Anna, Mary, Peter, Lydia, John, Liz, Abby, Jenna, Lashunda. You get the picture. And as we read these stories about the calling of others, we start to acknowledge and recognize how quirky and how nonlinear are the paths that lead to understanding what vocation is or isn't. You can't just pick up the Bible and go like, okay, A plus B equals C, we're good. I understand, I'll apply. Things go down, like they meander. Sometimes they hit dead ends. Sometimes, you know, you're reading Isaiah for the 10th time, if you're into that kind of thing. And you're like, oh, okay, this is what, you know, Corinthians. It's just like, okay, I never thought about this. But now it makes some kind of a connection. Uh, as Jenna reminded us last week in relation to the words of Jeremiah, who, as a prophet, was speaking to Israel, who were screwed. They were in exile. Um, even when God's people were being taunted about their sacred stories... We can never be exiled for, from God. So in that sense, interacting with Scripture is um, sitting, sitting with God. And remembering that we can never be exiled from God because it is that, that is the God who calls us. And just as, as God sustained that exiled community, God sustains us today as we think about our future. So capital S, lowercase s, I'm going to use three passages from Scripture, one Old Testament, and two New Testament. First, we're going to do Psalm 23. Uh, we'll get there eventually. Okay. So the point is that these stories can help illuminate the nature of Christ's calling to us, to the world, and how that shapes our journey, our journey as a community and as a place. So first scene, Psalm 23. I'm going to read from the New Revised Standard Updated Edition. Our NRS, I can't say that acronym. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want... He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. God restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. I love that psalm. Who doesn't love that psalm? Psalm 23, it's a classic example of that image of the shepherd and the sheep that I, that I mentioned. It's also a double whammy. Uh, because David, to whom uh, this psalm is attributed, began his career as a shepherd. That's what he did. When he uses that image here, he does it from the perspective of someone who has spent significant time running after sheep, caring for sheep, shearing sheep, defending sheep from predators. You name it, David had done it. When he says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's talking about something very, very close to his reality. Uh, The sheep industry, if you will, uh, was an important part of the culture and the economy of of Israel in the the Old Testament. When this image appears in Scripture, it 
for these people, it wouldn't have been like this removed, metaphoric, um, kind of, you know, vanilla image. Just like the parables of Jesus, we're talking about day-to-day stuff. And, and these examples are run-of-the-mill components of daily life that um, were part of the world at that time. You know, when Jesus talks about the fig tree, there's a fig tree. So when David talks about sheep and shepherd, he talks about something that he has experience with, right? And there are a couple of things in the poetry here in Psalm 23 that I want to kind of tease out. First is the fact that David starts by telling us about God. And then halfway through the psalm, David can't help himself and he starts talking to God in the first person. Right? So there's a, there's a knowledge, there's a relationship, there's a sitting with. And, and, and that speaks to a dynamic that, that we also follow as we, as we examine this, this theme of a calling. We're talking to each other, we're talking to God, we're talking to each other, we're talking to God, trying to figure out, to figure out uh, what our future looks like. And, and, and David ties two things together here. He ties hunger and sadedness, the absence of nourishment and the abundance of, of nourish, nourishment. And, and that's one of God's competencies towards Israel and towards us. You look at old, other Old Testament texts, the example of the table, right? And we've been talking about this. We had communion together a few weeks back. Um, the table, God nourishes us. So here in Psalm 23, if we are the sheep, God offers that which sates the hunger of the sheep, water and grass. The point that David is making is that God points us, impels us, pushes us, towards nourishment. And David acknowledges that the path to the the water and the grass is not without dangers. But God, like the shepherd, is a faithful protector of the herd. God cares about people. If you forget everything we talked about this morning, remember that. God cares about people. God cares about us. God cares about you. And I want to call our attention to the promise in the last verse of this psalm. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord... My whole life long. With that expression, David acknowledges that, like sheep, he can't live apart from the pasture. And that's true of sheep. You you leave sheep out by themselves, they usually do something stupid. They're like big lemmings. They die out. Sheep need a shepherd. The sheep must return to the shepherd. And so, this faith community needs to to do the same and sit with God because it is in that presence that nourishment is to be found. Water and grass. There's a a 5th century bishop called Theodoret of Cyrus who was the bishop of Cyrus in Syria. Um, He describes that relationship like this. Um, Now, providing these good things is your ineffable loving kindness. Not awaiting our request but closely following us like fugitives anticipating our needs, giving us a share in salvation, providing residence in the divine dwellings, sitting with God, following us like fugitives. That's the image that Theodoret has, uses to recognize that we don't always listen to the shepherd's call, to the shepherd's voice, and we frequently forget how to get to the water and the grass. And that leads us to our second scene, 
where um, Jesus is using the same image. This is in John 10. If you want a Bible, you can raise your hand. Someone will get you a Bible or just look this up on your phone if you want to. Um, Jesus is, in, in John, he, he's talking, uh, he's trying to describe who he is to a group of people. And I'm going to read from the message. He, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd puts the sheep before himself, sacrifices himself if necessary. A hired man is not a real shepherd. The sheep mean nothing to that hired man. He sees a wolf come and runs for it, leaving the sheep to be ravaged and scattered by the wolf. He's only in it for the money. The sheep don't matter to him. I am the good shepherd. Jesus repeats that line. I know my own sheep and my own sheep know me. In the same way, God knows me and I know God. I put the sheep before myself, sacrificing myself if necessary. You need to know that I have other sheep in addition to those in this pen. I need to gather and bring them in too. They will recognize my voice. Then it will be one flock, one shepherd. One flock, one shepherd. So in this passage, we find Jesus interpreting himself through that image of the sheep and the shepherd. And that story happens in context, right? Jesus is having an argument with a group of Pharisees. Like, there's, Jesus is always triangulating with these people. But in an attempt to help his listeners understand what he is saying, Jesus resorts to language that is familiar to that audience, right? The sheep and the shepherd. And they would know it also, not only from daily life, but from Old Testament scripture. Jesus' listeners would quickly connect what he was saying to texts like Psalm 23, creating these echoes and resonances between, you know, uh, how images bounce around in Scripture. And one important echo, one important resonance that they would relate to is exactly Jesus' critiques of the Pharisees, to whom he's directing that language in this passage. And there's a passage in, in Ezekiel where he's a prophet, right? who's accusing the leadership of God's people of taking them down the wrong path like a hired hand. And Jesus is doing the same here. He's accusing the Pharisees of derailing the faith of Israel because the Pharisees position themselves as um, the spiritual leaders of God's people. And Jesus is reminding them what God thinks of those that do not lead the sheep to water and pasture, that don't protect the sheep from the dangers that threaten the herd. And in that sense, that language is also prophetic because it shows, the image shows what they should be doing. What they should be doing. Lead the sheep to water and pasture. Sit with God. So, let's pull on a couple threads here as well. There's an interesting dynamic in this text that I want to point out. One is, the first is that the shepherd leads the sheep. He, the shepherd walks ahead of the sheep, but the shepherd also follows the sheep when they lose their way. Just like the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15, or the song we sang, you know, leaves the 99, leaves the 99. Just leave those sheep, go look for the, for, for the sheep that's missing. So the shepherd is both in front and behind of the flock at the same time. The shepherd embraces the herd, the flock, with her presence and leadership. Just like in Exodus. You know, you have people, God's people kind of wandering in the desert, and there's a pillar 
of smoke and fire that leads the way. God does not abandon God's people. It is impossible to be exiled from God's presence. And the pastor's voice is a key concept of that presence that embraces. Right? The sheep follow the shepherd because they recognize that voice. And they follow that voice. They don't follow the voice of the hired hand. God has the habit of calling. Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. In the book of, you guessed it, Samuel. Peter, Peter, Peter. And we'll, we'll look at that passage in a little bit. God calls. God calls. And the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And Jesus recognizes his sheep by name. God cares about you. Part of being a community is that we recognize the voice of those with whom we share our lives. If a stranger calls us on the phone, we don't recognize their voice. And we probably hang up. But when we do, when we know the voices around us, there's mutuality. There's, there's relationship. It's not an unbalanced kind of unilateral dictatorial relationship. It is about recognizing the voices that we sit with. So in that text, when Jesus puts up this image of the sheep and the shepherd, he's setting up an image of commitment. The shepherd gives their life for the sheep, and the sheep recognize and follow the shepherd's lead, the shepherd's embrace, and live in that embrace. So looking at these two texts might illuminate uh, some of what we're called to do as, as a community, right? Because these texts help us understand Christ's vocation and our vocation as a faith community in light of Christ's calling. So first, the first thing I want to say as I kind of cross-reference these texts is that um, Christ's vocation to God's people remains, our community is not alone. The shepherd walks with us. There's a, a really good book published in the 70s uh, by Philip Keller. Philip Keller was an actual shepherd who shepherded actual sheep. And he wrote a commentary on Psalm 23. Um, and I don't remember what it's called, but it's really good. And Keller says that the, the fate of a herd lies with the type of person who shepherds it. If the shepherd is impatient, indifferent, careless, the herd suffers from hunger, cold, and thirst. No pressure, Jenna. I'm just kidding. We're all supposed to pastor each other. <laughs> if the shepherd is, is, is careless, the sheep die. But if the shepherd is dedicated, attentive, patient with the flock, the sheep thrive. Jesus is our shepherd, following and leading. When we're lost, when we're tired, when we're broken, if we are the sheep gathered in this faith community, we walk together and the shepherd is with us. That's the first point. The second is that we don't own the flock. We're part of it. And this is most certainly our community. But it's not a self-managed, self-sufficient community. The shepherd leads it, embraces it, 
and sustains it. And we have to remember that, that Christian community in that sense is grounded in Jesus, tied to Jesus' calling in ministry, and that is a ministry of reconciliation and healing in a broken world. That's the deal. That's the call. Reconciliation and healing in a broken world. And God knows our world needs that now. We need it. So, if this community's call is tied to the vocation of Jesus, why are we here? In Deep Ellum, in Dallas, on this block, in this place. So, I'm going to use one more text. I'm going to fast forward in the book of John to John 21. And what happens here is Jesus has died. He hasn't appeared to the disciples. The disciples go back to fishing because, you know, that's their jam. So it's what they do. They, don't, they can't catch any fish. Jesus shows up at the beach and tells them to, well, you know, launch their nets on the other side. They do. They catch some fish. They come, they come back to the, to the beach. And uh, Jesus is grilling some fish. And I totally believe that um, grilling things is God-ordained, which is why I do it. Um, after breakfast, says John, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, master, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. There's that image once again. And then he asks a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, master, you know I love you. And Jesus says, shepherd my sheep. And then he said it a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was upset. He was getting kind of miffed. He was like, Jesus, what is the deal? You've asked me twice. I have told you. Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, Master, you know everything there is to know. You've got to know that I love you. And Jesus says for the third time, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. There's the connection between Jesus' calling and our calling. Reconciliation and healing in a broken world. So John 21 highlights the connection between the calling of Jesus and the calling of the, uh, of the church. He puts, uh, sorry for using the, the C word, Ryan. Um, he puts on Peter and on the church the responsibility to mirror the shepherd's own shepherding. These, these pastoral movements, and that the word pastor comes from the shepherd. That's where the word comes from, are to be noted and practiced. Jesus calls us to lead and to pursue, to lead whoever we can, however we can, to water and grass, to nourishment, to recovery, to healing, to hope. Our call is to provide food for the hungry, water for the thirsty, hope for the hopeless, beauty and truth for the city. That call extends to hospital beds and dance floors. It extends to prayer and laughter and the common table. It leads us to share with others the still waters and nourishing pastors that we have been led to in Psalm 23. And as a community, we need to remember that there is rest in protection in shepherding each other and those we are called to minister to. So we're leading each other to water and grass. I'm reminded of the words of uh, Lenita Dunlap from Abide Women's Health Services, who was interviewed last week in connection with our 21st birthday, and she called Life in Deep Ellum a special place in our heart where we are able to dream. 
reconciliation, and hope for a broken world. Jesus calls us to a covenantal life. Just as as Jesus is different from the hired hand in John 10, who doesn't really care about the sheep, we're called to distance ourselves from transactional relationships in in which all that matters is is ROI or cost-benefit. Ricardo Barbosa, another Brazilian pastor, um, I'm citing the Brazilians today in preparation for the World Cup, Uh, we were created to love, to give and receive, and it is in doing that that we mirror the Creator. For, For Barbosa, and I agree, we're invited into a covenantal life, a life of covenant, of alliance, that nourishes the soul and recovers the meaning of our true humanity. So because of that, the day-to-day community of the community is marked by voices that strive to know each other, to confess, to call out crap, to exhort, to worship, and to proclaim reconciliation and hope in a broken world. And finally, just as Jesus was called to the entire world, the vocation of the faith community is not for itself, it is for others. That means that we're called to Deep Ellum, we're called to Dallas, we're called to our neighbors and co-workers, we're called to the cultural sphere in which we're immersed, we're called to justice, we're called to mercy, we're called to compassion, we're called to vulnerability, we're called to access, we're called to equity, we're called to hospitality. Lanita described life in Deep Elm. She said, you all have welcomed us with open arms the way in which you are loving people. People are able to come as they are. She says, I think that's going to bleed over into generations to come because of the fact that you're authentic. You allow people to be. You allow people to sit with each other by still waters and green pastures. So we're called to the kingdom the reign of siblinghood of the shepherd who leads the herd. And that is a kingdom of love. This is a flock that struggles to nurture and live out the hope of kingdom come. A flock that struggles towards healing. A place in which sheep who are hurt and isolated can find rest, nourishment, joy, reconciliation, and hope for a broken world. A place where sheep are embraced and embrace each other just as the shepherd embraces us by walking both ahead and behind. A flock that dreams about what our future looks like. And, and, and these dreams can't help but be infused by hope, love, joy, kindness, mutuality, respect. You get it. Reconciliation and hope for a broken world. All the fruits of the Spirit and stuff. Life in Deep Elm is called to be an incubator in which the shepherd's dreams find fertile ground to flourish. A place in which justice walks hand in hand with grace. A place in which tears and laughter are joined together in community. Amen.